evening and welcome to Her Story. I'm Jay Jameson and the host for tonight. HER is an acronym for Heroic, Empowering, and Resilient. And the main purpose of this podcast is to encourage, empower, and motivate all women by highlighting their personal stories of triumph over adversities. Each of us has a story. We have all had a season in our lives when we're afraid. We may have hit a rough patch or just a downward spiral. Maybe it was an illness, some financial burdens, a dead-end job, just unforeseen circumstances. We may have felt isolated or alone. But because you may have felt this way or reached a low bottom, it doesn't mean that it's the end, or more specifically, the end of your story. It is within the darkest hours that we produce the brightest stars. There are women out there who have gone through the very same barriers that you may be facing. And they use their difficulties to mold them into strong and resilient women. And if they can break through those hardships, so can you. You are her, heroic, empowering, and resilient. So tonight, I want to introduce to you the creative, the director, the manager, the choreographer, everything extraordinary, super talented, Miss Alicia Joseph Rollins. Yes. <laughs> hey, how are you doing? Hey, Alicia. I'm super excited that you decided to join us tonight, y'all. Me and, and Alicia do have history. We're college roommates. We're yes. both Southern University alumni. We're both SARARs. So we've been on each other for probably 10 years. Yes, yeah. at least 10 years. Yeah. So this is, right. <laughs> this is one of the many projects probably that we've been working on. Um, so Alicia, just tell everyone exactly who you are and the different things that you're involved in. Awesome. Okay. Well, first, like you mentioned, I'm a creative. I think I would like to always start with me being a creative because I think it accurately encompasses every single thing that I do. So um, I'm a content manager for Be Baton Rouge, which is a local platform um, that's almost like Blavity or Huffington Post. Uh, We we post content um, that highlights uh, Baton Rouge and highlights the things that we have going on, um, along with some national things. Um, So it's, it's a media outlet, and my role is to Uh, manage the content for that create the content so whether it's video stories whether it's me going out with um a videographer directing some some type of creative whatever um that's all my job and even managing uh the different articles that we post week to week um that's my day-to-day um along with that i'm a video director and so i direct documentaries music videos um, any type of video project you could probably <laughs> I'll probably be interested in um, directing so that's really my passion and I'm also an author so I released a book last year called The Bottom Line Navigating Your 20s by God's Word um, and so I'm really excited about that and sharing about that as well so in short Alicia does everything <laughs> <laughs> But um, the reason I'm bringing you here tonight is for that very reason. You're a woman of many titles. You're involved in so many different organizations and you have your hands in so many different things. But even despite of all of that, you do have a story. Mm-hmm. You know, we all face with different difficulties or things that we may be ashamed to talk about or just difficult issues, you know. Yeah. And so uh, I just want to highlight and bring that in. Uh, I know recently you battled certain things on top of you having something new, like a new point in your life, you Mm -hmm. know, being married and just being involved in different things. So can you just give us some info about what happened? 
Um, well, just like you mentioned, um, when we go through transitions in life, I think a lot of times we glamorize um, those different periods, whether it's a person getting engaged, a person having a baby, a person in, in any point of transition in their life, it's glamorized. And I think we should to a certain degree because those things are to be celebrated. You right. know, when you mm-hmm. find the love of your life, when you get married. Um, and so me and my husband, we got engaged about almost three years ago. Um, and that point in my life when I got engaged and then eventually got married um, was a great period for me. It was it was a period of celebration, but it was also kind of a, a period of transition as well because I transitioned from being the single person and being, um, you know, kind of on my own person, mm-hmm. living my, my life in Baton Rouge where I'd established friends and I'd established a network of people that I was working with and I was doing all kind of video projects and kind of really just finding my space as a director. And then I found the person that I wanted to spend my life with and we moved <laughs> three right. and a half hours away. So um, the transition in that was difficult um, just mentally for me because um, I had suffered with from depression before and I had made it through that process. I was like through a, a, a immensely difficult breakup where I fell into this kind of pit of sadness and um, a lot of it stemmed from rejection, feeling like this person rejected me, this person didn't want me, I'm not good enough um, to be with somebody that I was immensely in love with. So mm-hmm. it was just kind of like, I know we don't really, a lot of us try to, you know, fake the funk. We don't talk about that element of breaking up. Right, you try to mask your feelings. Yeah, yeah, we try to mask <clears throat> our feelings because, mm-hmm. you know, we want to portray this person that, like, I know I'm cute, I know I'm a catch, but in reality, I went through a long, probably year and a half long depression where I felt like I wasn't, you know, I didn't deserve to be with anybody good. And um, immediately after I got through that, like me and my husband met. So it was kind of, you know, kind of, I don't know, like a coincidence in that way. Like right when I made it through, yeah, right when I made it through that process and I realized that he was the one, kind of one of the people that made me realize like, man, like you are a great person. Like regardless of how you felt after this situation where you had like really low self-esteem. And I think, I think I've generally always really had a pretty low self-esteem, even if I didn't realize that's what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, I was about to say, even with me, like living with you, I never got yeah. that from you. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. But I think it's, we as women, when we go through certain things, we try to hide them. And sometimes we try Absolutely. to fake the fun for every people, you know, for everybody, because with us being human, it's human nature for us to just hide certain things and just so showcase, you know, the glitz and the glam yeah. of our life when we may just be facing certain things eternally and within. So, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think it's kind of our culture, especially when we were in undergrad. Like, yeah. that was the culture. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I just wanted to be like you. Like, you know, I just wanted to be, you know, like, uh, just be, you know, in the sorority and be. Like, I just wanted to accomplish those goals and just, like, be a person that was confident. Like, when I looked at you, like, I always looked at a over, like, you had no reason to not be confident. Like, you, you know, you're just, like, this gorgeous girl. And I've always felt that way. Well, you know, you. Um, you know, you know. But I had my own battles, too. Yeah, you and know, I know we've crazy. talked about that, too. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. So, it's just crazy. Like, you can have a perspective, and that's not, that might not even really be how that person feels about themselves. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and so, I went through that moment, and, 
after that, when me and my husband got married, we got married in 2016. Um, so two years, almost, or definitely a little over two years ago, um, I moved. And that was kind of where everything started. Like, me and my husband have, or I'm so grateful, like, we have a really great relationship. And we have a really honest, really, like, fruitful relationship. So our marriage was never, like, I know people struggle, like, the first year. They always tell you, the first year's first terrible. Year's the yeah, year. the first uh-huh. year's terrible. But first year for us was great, like, because we really, we really, like, love each other. Like, we, we had a very short courtship. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> we had a kind of non-traditional courtship because we weren't on social media, so nobody knew I was dating. And it was like, oh, she's engaged. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of like that. Like, um, And we, we met in May of 2015, and we got engaged in September, and then we got married in May. Wow. So it was really fast. Mm-hmm. And um, But I was great. I was grateful for that. Um, and... Cause my husband, he, he he's a guy. He knows what he wants. Like he just he's just serious about life like that. And so when when I moved, that was just a space of like contention in within myself, because I think all women, you know, and at you know a lot of single women kind of I don't think we think about it when we're single. Right. We don't realize it until we get married. But there's a there's a loss of identity that can happen when you get married. It's very easy. Mm-hmm. Because you now have are become you going from you know Alicia Joseph. Every single person knows me as Alicia Joseph, you know, and now I'm Alicia Rollins, right? And I'm I'm this person's wife, and so you know it was navigating that. That was a part of the part of my issues. Navigating what does it mean to be this person's wife and be a creative and be a video right. director and be because ultimately you know, in society it's like. Who you are is a reflection of who your husband is or who your spouse mm-hmm. is. Absolutely. So with me 100% single, I can still, you know, <laughs> see where that's difficult, like trying to find who you are within mm-hmm. it, and with, especially with it being just so fresh, you know? Right, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, and that's something that we just don't talk about enough. Right. Um, for young women, even, you know, women that are single, like, hey, this is how you need to navigate this so you don't lose yourself. And so it was me figuring that out, you know, but also when you live somewhere like, you know, I feel like Baton Rouge had become so much, so, so much a part of my identity. I lived there for, for here for seven years and I'm just sorry, maybe because I'm just such a bluntly honest person. Um, cause people ask me all the time, like, how is it living with Mona? I was like, terrible. I was Boring. Like, oh, <laughs> terrible. like what, I guess they think I'm just going to be nice yeah. and be like, Oh, it's great. Uh-huh. I was like, it's terrible. You know, I mean, in, in comparison, like in Baton Rouge, I had all of my friends, like all I could drive to my friends, you know, house, I could go to their events. I could, and it wasn't, I didn't have to plan for it. And so when I, when you live three and a half hours away, everything that you do that involves your friends or if they have an event or if it's something during the week or it's, you know, I just had to plan for it and living there. It became, it felt like it, it became more of a job because it was like, I was in grad school. Mm-hmm. That's all I did. And I was working and it just, it, it felt like a job more than, Hey, I live here now. When I, when I feel like when I moved, when I went to Southern and I, you moved to Baton Rouge, like I became a Baton Rouge, right. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so it was just kind of, it was different. So that whole period, I moved in June, um, well, really at the end of May, but I moved and I was dealing with those. I was newly married, so we were navigating being newlyweds with all the things that that brings, right? Being accustomed, we had never lived together. We had never, you know, all of these things. Um, mm-hmm. And 
So we did that. And then after that, um, so navigating that, then the element of being feeling alone, not having any friends. In Baton Rouge, my family lived, they live in Opelousas. That's 45 minutes. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, now my family's two and a half hours away. There's that, you know, and I'm very close to my family, very close to my grandmother. And so there was that element of it and my family being away, you know, and just kind of having to fully embrace his culture and not having any part of mine. And, And another big element of it was not having my church family. You know, I was just, I'm, you know, Rose Hill was a part of my DNA, had become a part of my DNA. I was there every week, multiple times a week, involved in multiple ministries. And now I'm joining a new church. It's a totally different culture. It's predominantly mm-hmm. white church. At wow. That, mm-hmm. You know, so, and, and nothing, you know, nothing against that, but just the culture it's is different. different. It's different. Yeah. It's different. Mm-hmm. It's not good, bad, right, or wrong. It's just different. And so that kind of catapulted me in this kind of, semi-depressive state that once I got diagnosed with cervical cancer, it just got worse. Wow. So, Mm -hmm. you know, all of these things happened and August of that same year. Um, so, (laughs) you know, so you experience, of course, like you said, being on a high of being married, something new, something exciting. And then, you know, a sense of isolation and being alone, different from your friends and your Mm -hmm. family. And then, you basically got dropped a bomb of cervical cancer. Right. So when people hear cancer, I know with me personally, when my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer, when I heard that word, I automatically thought dead end, like right. death. You, Absolutely. You, you think the worst. So, and especially with cervical cancer, it affects black women, um, you know, at a abnormal number higher than mm-hmm. African, I mean, than uh, Hispanics, non-Hispanics, and yeah. whites. Mm-hmm. So with you hearing that, how did you feel when you were first diagnosed with cervical cancer? And what's crazy about that is I really wasn't for sure diagnosed until after I had, tr- had treatment. Wow. So what happened was in August of that same year, so, you know, when you're when you're not trying, if that if, that, if this even makes sense, like before you're married, like you're not really caring, you're not really trying to get pregnant ever. Mm-hmm. So that doesn't, it's not that big of a deal to right. you. Right, like you're not thinking you're ooh, trying to avoid. I know, you know, days. it's not. <laughs> so for me, and my husband, who, who, you know, we like we didn't have sex until we got married. Once mm-hmm. we got married, it was just like. All right, it's you know, popping. yeah, it's on. <laughs> you know, we didn't want to get pregnant right away, mm-hmm. but we we were doing natural family planning, um, so we did. You know, I was never on birth control or anything like that, but we and we've done great with that for two years, praise the Lord. But mm-hmm. at that time, I still I still was nervous. Yeah, you know, every month I was just kind of like, mm-hmm. all right, you know, you gonna come today or right. what? Yeah. You know, you just don't know because I was doing natural family planning, which I had you know tracked my cycle. I suggest to anyone track your cycles you know mm-hmm. track them if you want to get pregnant or not right but we were tracking our cycle i was tracking my cycle and um it was late and i was like what's, what's going on what's going on mm-hmm. you know um and i always would get you know I, it wasn't a bad thing i would get excited you know if we were either way even though we weren't trying we definitely you know we're trying to wait some time but so i was late and i went to the doctor and what's funny about this story, it's funny now, it was devastating at the time. Um, what's funny about the story was they told me I was pregnant. They said, mm-hmm. you're pregnant. They was like, your your test came back positive, you're pregnant, I need you to come back tomorrow, get some blood tests or whatever. 
So my husband called me and he was like, what did they say? Um, and I was trying to keep, you know, you try to keep it from them and right. be cute and all this stuff. But I was like, I didn't say anything. And he said, oh, you must be pregnant. <laughs> and so uh, we were kind of just laughing about it or whatever. Um, he was like in shock though, really. He was shocked. Um, and so I went the next day and they did more tests and they were like, I don't know, like you're not pregnant. Like we thought you were, but, and so I, it was like the weekend after and I, we were devastated because it's like, okay, we thought we were and we got excited and now we're not. And isn't that like the worst feeling, especially when you go to the doctor and they have ex- completely no idea just as much as you. Devastated. Yeah. Devastated. Especially as a person that works in a hospital right. for a living. Mm-hmm. Like I, I've worked at Women's Hospital. I've worked at Glenwood Hospital in Monroe. As a medical professional, like I was, you know, I was questioning them. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, so did, did you give me the wrong results? Did you give me someone else's results? Did you like I'm I'm asking all these hard questions and nobody has any answers for yeah. me. And so it's one of the most frustrating things. And I, and I believe and I truly believe in divine intervention. I believe that and that period was even more devastating for mm-hmm. me because it made me feel like I miscarried. Like that that was one of the que- one of the questions that they said they said, "Well, you, maybe you might have miscarried over the weekend." Mm-hmm. And you just, you know, didn't really feel anything, but it could have been a chemical like I, I yeah, they gave me all kind of yeah. it's horrible. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was it was devastating. I mean, life altering. Mm-hmm. I mean, it changed the dynamic of me and my my relationship, my marriage like we just cuz we didn't know. Mm-hmm. And so we were like, "Did we have a child? Do I have to mourn this child? Do yeah. I have to, you know, did we miscarry?" Like it was all these questions. And so I never got closure for that. I, I changed doctors. Yeah. Obviously. Uh-huh. Um, and it was really crazy because like one person, a nurse would tell us, oh, we got your results back and you are pregnant. You are pregnant. And then they would come back and be like, they'll call me the next day and say, you're not, you're not. Yeah. yeah I, it was, they did this like two times. And so from that, I know it was divine intervention. I know it was because from that, we found out about the cervical cancer. Mm-hmm. And so from that, they, they looked at my results and from my pap smears and all these different things. And they said, we need to do a colposcopy on you. Like you have abnormal cells in your cervix. And I Wait, said, let me ask you this. Yeah. When I know we all do like our annuals, mm-hmm. you know, so before with you going to the gynecologist, did they ever see any abnormal anything? Let me tell you what's so crazy about that. Okay. And this is why I like tell young women that are in school don't not go to the gyno because mm-hmm. you don't your doctors back home or anything like that so first time i i went to the gynecologist i had no idea what was was happening my mom never talked to me about it my grandmother never talked to me about it mm-hmm. but i knew i needed to go right as a woman so when i, I first time i went i was in new hampshire i went to planned parenthood mm-hmm. and i did it and it was fine and i didn't go back until like six years later. Oh wow! Yeah. And I think. Oh well, no! I, I, I take that back. I went. I went like three years later at Southern. Mm-hmm. Southern did tell me I had, I had like questionable cells, but they were like, come back in six months or something like that. And probably life happened. Yeah, you, life mm-hmm. happened. And then I went to a hospital. <laughs> I'm not gonna say which one, uh-huh. but I did go to a hospital in Baton Rouge. Yes. Okay. In Baton Rouge, and what's crazy about it, <laughs> I was employed there, mm-hmm. and I went to a hospital, and for some reason, I think like I changed my number or something in in the midst of it, and 
they were like, we called you. You know, I called them. Once I did find out, I called them. Mm-hmm. And I said, hey, did y'all see something? Because I had a year before I went, I had this appointment where I found out um, I had went to the gyno a year before. Mm-hmm. You know, I was trying to go yearly at that point. And so they were like, yeah, we saw some abnormal cells, but, you know, we couldn't get in touch with you. So there was no letter sent? Because normally... Every they'll gynecologist I've went to, yeah, they'll send you a letter. I never got a letter. I never got anything. And so that was one of the most frustrating things because I worked there. Mm-hmm. I was there every single day. And so, of course. That's just ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Yeah. I'm like, how could y'all not get <laughs> You're employed there. There's I, some you didn't look at my could... file and see right. that I was employed here. Mm-hmm. You know, so it was just, that was one of the most frustrating things because I could have found out a lot earlier. And cervical cancer is a slow growing cancer. So it was, you know, it probably was growing when I was at Southern. Right. You know, probably it's, it's, it's a cancer that grows over 10 years. Um, and that's like, that's how slow growing it is. Mm-hmm. And I'm thank you know, I'm thankful for that. Like of all the cancers I could have had, you know, I'm grateful that it was cervical cancer out of all the things. But so, you know, to get back to kind of the story, I changed doctors. I changed doctors and the first step in the process was to have a colposcopy. And what a colposcopy is... I was just about is, to exit. Yeah. Like. <laughs> it's kind of like a pap smear. It's kind of like a pap smear. But the difference is they go in with a microscope. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have a screen. And they look at your cervix on right like there. a TV okay. screen. Mm-hmm. And so they can see the actual, you know, what they call is transformations. So what they know what a normal cervix would look like and the transformations on your cervix. I didn't actually look at the screen because I was just like, I don't want to see Too that. nervous. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, especially, again, as a medical professional, like, it almost is a bad thing that you know so much. Because mm-hmm. it's like, I know what a regular cervix is supposed to look like, so I don't right. want to look at mine. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, so I, had, I went to a different doctor. Um, I actually changed doctors to someone that one of my husband's, was my husband's mentors when he, he was a, a kid. And he said... You know, hey, I know an OBGYN, and he's a Southern Southern alum, mm-hmm. and his name is Dr. Curtis Sanders, and he's been phenomenal, and he just was really honest with me. You know, he did the COPO, and he did a biopsy, and they sent the biopsy off, and another frustrating thing about this whole process is I just turned 26, got off my, I had to get kicked off my parents' insurance, and I was I so now to, all these medical expensive right now expenses have, are between you and your husband out of out of pocket yeah straight out of pocket mm-hmm. at this point um and so um I got the results back and he said the way that cervical cancer goes is there's multiple grades um where they they call it sins which is C I N so it's cervical um intraepithelial neoplasia that's what it is. And um, there's the grade. So there's grade one is, you know, the least um, cancerous um, or close to cancerous. So that's grade one, grade two, grade three. And then after grade three is cancer. Mm-hmm. So um, they have different what they call. Those are the tr- different types of transformations before we get to cancer. Okay. And so he did the biopsy and after the and did the colposcopy and he got the results back and he said, they're sin three, you know, wow. and he said it could be cancerous. Cancer. Uh-huh. And he said that I, I need, I can't, I won't know until I go in and I actually get the tissue. And so he gave me some options. Um, but the most viable option that he suggested was that I have a surgery. 
And so specifically what, at this point I was 24 and specifically with my age, you know, I was super young. I was 24 years old. I had no kids, you know, like under normal circumstance, they would have just taken everything. They would have given me a hysterectomy. If I was Mm -hmm. older, they would have just given me a hysterectomy. I would have, and then I would have had no, you know, no possible chance or hope. uh, Yeah. And mm-hmm. and so under normal circumstances they would have just taken everything out and that would have mean that hey you you, you won't get cancer yeah. you know we've taken everything mm-hmm. and um and so he was I'm like I'm sure you know, it was like just a fear of even knowing when you go through surgery that what if aspect yeah you, so it's always a what if taking it back to with all of this happening how was the relationship between you and your husband like was it. Did it cause, I guess, any friction within your marriage or, you know, was he very supportive? I'm sure there were just like feelings of just both of you just being very confused. How did that weigh out, especially with the two of you being newly married, both Mm -hmm. of you being so young, you know, and adapting to each other? Yeah. And I just think, you know, the Lord has graced me. And it's definitely not by anything that I've done because when I was single, like I didn't, I wasn't thinking about my married life. Yeah. You know, but um, and we all, I mean, nobody, you know, yeah. nobody thinks that far in advance. The Lord has know? graced me to mm-hmm. have just such a graceful husband. Mm-hmm. Like I, I can't even put it into words. Like he is literally the most supportive human being on the planet. Yeah. And he, um, and that's you know, amazing. Cause everybody isn't blessed with that. With, and, and, I, and I realized that, you mm-hmm. know, and, and he just is a really supportive person. Like <laughs> I can't even like, he, like when I went in the hospital, he like, they, they gave me like, ta- not tampons. They gave me like huge pads and stuff to wear. Like he put it in my clothing, like in my undergarments. Like, yeah. so I wouldn't have to do, do it. it like he, I mean, mm-hmm. he's just, he's that, and that may be TMI, but mm-hmm. he's just that supportive. And so during the process, I will say what was what what did cause a little bit of friction was my mindset about kids changed. Mm-hmm. So like we we had a plan about waiting, you know, we had a set time like three to five years, and he's younger than me too. He's two years younger than me. Okay. So mm-hmm. I mean, my mindset about kids kind of changed after they said we were pregnant and then we weren't, and then I got this diagnosis because now all I can think about is can I bear can, children? Yeah. Can I can I have kids? Mm-hmm. I know that he wants kids. So, and I want to have kids, so can I have, will I be able to after this surgery? And I think and, it's difficult for women, too, because, you know, we're timed. Yeah, you we're, know, we are timed. We are, yeah. our, our biological clock is constantly ticking, especially when you, you get that midpoint within your 30s. Mm-hmm. With, even with you being in your 20s, but just by you mentioning, saying, you know, your husband is a few years younger than you. It's just men, some men are in their 70s and still having Donald kids, Trump. you know. <laughs> Donald Trump had kids Ugh. 10 years ago. Right. <laughs> But, you know, with us, it's just always like, what if, oh my gosh, like, even with me, I'm 28, I'm single, so it's always something in the back of my mind, like, you know, when am I going to get my husband? Can I start my family? But, mm-hmm. you know, getting off track, but anyway, so... I know that that had to be like just difficult for you and within your marriage and just Absolutely. the thought of that you thinking I can't maybe I can't you know yeah it was really nerve-wracking and you know that's when I really got abreast to infertility issues mm-hmm. was because now I'm I have to actively see like what would happen if you know if this doesn't work this yeah. surgery that he suggested it could work it could not work 
And um, what would happen? Would I need to, you know, get a surrogate? Like things yeah. I've never thought about, mm-hmm. and I even fi- being financially possible. Like, what would I? Ha- what would I do? Would I have to adopt? Could I? You know, like can all I these- afford this? Yeah, can, can I, I afford? Yeah, it? yeah uh-huh. we, we, you know, we probably could afford adoption before a surrogate, right? Or something <laughs> like that, you know. So, mm-hmm. um, so all those things ran through my mind, and so that was kind of the, the biggest disconnect we had was me kind of being like oh my gosh like you know i might have to figure out how we're gonna have kids and me it kind of just like upped my biological clock like Mm -hmm. yeah we you know i may need to try like as soon as the surgery over i might need to try yeah you know because if there's any chance yeah if there's any chance like right now yeah Uh right exactly and so um and so we you know we didn't um once once i got diagnosed we couldn't try Um, because I had to have my surgery. Um, and after my surgery, I had to be monitored for a year. Oh, wow. So, um, so, so what went on within that, within that process of you being monitored? Like what was the purpose of that? Okay. Um, well, the biggest thing was, you know, once we did decide that the surgery was what we wanted to do, um, the surgery was called a cold knife cone and they basically, your cervix is kind of like this and they basically cut a portion of your cervix out where mm-hmm. they believe that the cancerous portion is and they just take it out mm-hmm. um and the issue with that is they always want to have click what they call clear margins which means that they want to make sure that the area around where they took the tissue doesn't have any cancer okay and so and remember i said earlier you know they couldn't really diagnose me until they had did the surgery, surgery they, right they needed to make like actually physically Take because all the tissue that, that they were getting on the biopsy was kind of this outside tissue mm-hmm. and not the tissue on the inside of your actual cervix. Um, and so the biggest thing with my cervix, too, um, I think something is, again, one of the things that we don't think about because um, we don't think about birth or like babies or anything like that. But one of the thing, things that my doctor explained to me was the reason why the cervix is so important is because it is it is what keeps the baby inside your belly. Wow. Okay. Uh, like, so it's the uterus right here and mm-hmm. the cervix keeps your baby in until the baby's ready to come out. Mm-hmm. And so if your cervix is what they call incompetent um, or it's not long enough or it's an incompetent cervix, which can happen with cervical cancer survivors, um, then that means that they might have to like physically put a mesh, what they call a mesh on there. Um, they may have to, it's all kind of different things that they could possibly do if you have an incompetent service, but you could miscarry. Yeah. That, that's okay. The, the, that's the fear. The bottom yeah. Line. That's the bottom line. So mm-hmm. you could miscarry, um, or you could have your baby really early or yeah. all these different things that could cause problems. And so all of these things are in the back of my mind. Mm-hmm. And so we have the surgery. So I, I got insurance thankfully by November and we had the surgery in December. So, mm-hmm. I, um, so we had the surgery and it was successful. And it was, you know, great. But in January is when I sat down with him and he was like, okay, it was cancerous. You know, so it was, you know, like I knew that there was a fear, but for somebody to tell you, even somebody that like at this point we've developed a relationship, he's a doctor I trust. Mm -hmm. This, you know, this man has seen every part of everything, (laughs) you know. So, um, and for you him to sit across from us and just say, you know, it was cancerous, but you do have clear margins. Um, and so, you know, now 
I'm going to refer you to an oncologist. So I mm-hmm. go from having a regular OBGYN to now I have, have a, a cancer, cancer doctor. doctor. You know, yeah. so mm-hmm. that, you know, that is just a significant change. And, thank, and my cancer doctor was an hour and a half away, so I had to drive to Freeport oh, wow. for that. Um, and so... But how did it feel after that, even with knowing... I've made it this far. Like I know, I know for a fact that there still was probably like just feelings of like discontentment and confusion. Still mm-hmm. yeah. not really knowing, but to I guess be told that you know it was cancer, but within the process with me going through the surgery, because you know statistics do show that a lot of Black women don't want to go through surgery or treatments when they're diagnosed with cervical cancer specifically. Mm -hmm. So with you, I guess, being given medical advice, taking that advice, going through the surgery, having your battle of not even having insurance, but still getting it, being able, you know, all these little necessary steps and being told that, okay, you know, there is some relief in knowing that even though I did have cancer, I have made it this far and I've took took the right steps basically to get me to this point. Right. So was there some feeling, of course, like I said, confused, but okay, I can kind of breathe. I'm on the right path. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was it was a weird feeling cuz I like I bawled, like I cried mm-hmm. so heavy, but then at the same time, and I guess me, me and my husband are like to polar opposites in that way because he was very hopeful mm-hmm. you know because he was he was more hopeful and I was just like I think the biggest emotion I had was the fact that you can have a disease and not, and not know, know and right. not know mm-hmm. you know I probably had it for at least two to three years yeah. and didn't know yeah. you know and it wasn't really affecting me I didn't have I had a few symptoms mm-hmm. but I mean it could have been any, that could have been mm-hmm. anything so what are some of the symptoms um some symptoms are back pain mm-hmm. back pain um Bleeding, like you know, when you're not on your cycle, right. maybe during like intercourse. And, yeah, yeah, maybe during intercourse mm-hmm. or or spotting. You know, mm-hmm. not during your cycle. There's not many symptoms, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, like maybe bleeding after a pap smear. Sometimes you, yeah. you know, you bleed after a pap smear. Or and whatever. with you saying that this is they, these are all things that I have experienced. At yeah, one point everybody. In my yeah. Life, so it's like know, you don't. If you, you don't, don't know. go. If you don't yeah. go to OBGYN uh-huh. and they don't check you. Because that's every time you go to the OBGYN, they check your cervix for sure. That's the whole purpose Uh of you going. You having your annual is to make sure you don't have HPV. That's the biggest thing Mm -hmm. because HPV one of is one of the causes Causes. of cervical cancer. Uh It wasn't the cause in my case, but Mm -hmm. it can also be genetic. But it is one of the causes. So, um, so yeah, so you know, we went through that process, and it was kind of for me too. It was like hard on my faith. Because the whole time, like, I just was praying that it wasn't cancer. Like, Lord, just please. Like, even before when I got the SIN3 diagnosis and they said, okay, this could be cancerous. We don't know. You know, I I was just praying, like, Lord, just let it be SIN1. Let it be right. early. Like, Lord, you know, if, if you're going to get me to go through this. And I think that's our issue sometimes. Like, we pray for the best For our outcome. answer. Yeah, for our answer. Yeah. yeah. For the mm-hmm. best outcome that would make sense to us. Mm-hmm. And for me, you know, this whole time he was just preparing you to make you stronger. Yeah, it, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. And I think it was a necessary thing that I needed to go through. Yeah. I don't know for what reason. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that. I'm, I'm still walking through it right now. Like I mm-hmm. just, you know, got a, you know, a fully clean bill of health as of a year. You know, that was just a few months ago. So I don't know what the purpose is, but I have to trust. Like really, if you if you're really gonna have true faith, you have to trust. 
that and whatever, not yeah, yeah, and not knowing. That's mm-hmm. the whole, uh, you know, definition of faith. You have to trust God despite feeling like it should go a different way. So did you feel like at one point that you were kind of like forsaken because I've like seen the change in your spiritual journey, spiritual journey. Yeah. And, um, you know, I've, I'm sure people have seen it within myself too. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of times uh, our social media tells a lot of things like where we are, are in, you know, yeah. within our life and certain things that we try to highlight and things like that. Mm-hmm. So just with you saying you had a church family out here that was strong in Rose Hill, you know, even though there was a shift in Monroe, you still were active within the church. Yeah. But us being humans, you know, at some time with us being humans, we question God. I'm sure there's a fear or, you know, like, what did I do wrong? You know, mm-hmm. is this, is this a curse for something I did in the past? You know, we often, we, we, these are only like human thoughts to go through the, these thoughts. So what were you thinking at that point, especially because you did have a strong faith and you were active within a church and mm-hmm. an organization? Um, I think us as humans, we always try to put things in human context. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense that if I didn't do anything, why am I suffering? Right. And for me, as a person that in the past, you know, I, I wasn't a virgin when I got married. I wasn't, you know, a person that's always like even pursued the lifestyle that I, I started pursuing once I did become a person of faith. I definitely was never always like that. Um, and so for me, like, it was kind of, it was kind of hard because it was like with this particular person, with my husband, like we didn't even kiss till we got married. Wow. Like, you know, like, and it was, and that was on him. That was something he wanted to do, mm-hmm. you know? And so for me, like. Lord, to miss somebody like that. <laughs> I mean, I, look, I would have, I would, if you would have told me this mm-hmm. before I met him. I'd have been like, nah, fam, you know, mm-hmm. you know, but, um, for us, like we, we just saw the destruction that lust did in our own lives. Yeah. You know, like mm-hmm. I, I had been with, you know, people that didn't respect me, didn't care, um, about my well being. only wanted to have sex with me, right. only wanted, mm-hmm. like, you know, only wanted me for that. And I was just tired. Like I just had gotten tired of it. Mm-hmm. And, and that was legitimately like, I was just <laughs> emotionally and physically exhausted. Yeah. And, and of and that lifestyle. Sometimes it's a feeling of conviction after, you yeah, know, cause I've definitely. been celibate for two years now. Yeah. And it was just, Lord, yes, I'm, trying, on, I'm trying, yes. I'm trying, I'm trying, trying. No, it's hard. It's hard. But, it's um, very difficult. It's this, just a feeling of just conviction after you do it. I, I know that was one definitely. of my reasons too. If I want to live this lifestyle and talk about this life, style I have to practice what I preach you know absolutely and, and I was I was the same way you know because I had really even after I like really accepted God for real in real mm-hmm. life I mean I still struggle with it still you know struggle a lot mm-hmm. um so my thing was um how how can I say that and believe God for his word and not follow his word mm-hmm. how can I say that and preach his word and not follow it and if I know that it's going to lead me, he's never going to lead me astray. He's going to do and he's going to work for my good and always wants me to live an abundant life. Then I should know that following him is going to yield, you know, something good. So yeah. once I started like <clears throat> taking that seriously, um, I guess my biggest, you know, hang up with it and with my diagnosis was that if I did all this, mm-hmm. if I followed all this, me and my husband were celibate. My husband had been celibate three years before we even met. Like, yeah. 
like this was a lifestyle for him, for him. Mm-hmm. you know and I said that okay I, Lord I want to honor you in this way and this is the person I'm gonna marry why me why me mm-hmm. you know like we should at least be able to get married and have kids with no problems yeah. you know what I'm saying at Dang. least you, you know, know, at least, like... I can imagine how yeah. hard that is. It's, it is difficult. Know? Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it was difficult. And the end of the day, it's not about why me. That, mm-hmm. That's a that's a human mentality. Yeah. And, when, you know, when it says in the Bible that God's ways is higher than our ways, his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, mm-hmm. like, we don't know. You know, I, I could very well... My story could help bring people to the Lord. Like, every element of our life, is meant to bring God glory. Glory, yes, amen. Everything, yes, yes. everything. Mm-hmm. You know, in the hardships, in the difficult parts, in the tough times, in 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 the great times. You know, mm-hmm. I, you know, even the things that you know, us being celibate, like, and me telling people, like, no, I was not a virgin. No, yeah. I listen. I was in college, wilding, just like everybody, everybody else. else. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't. It was a choice that I had to make, and that I did make. And it wasn't easy. And me, even me saying that, I believe that there's glory, God's glory is, is seen in that, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and so, you know, even from the, the whole experience, I haven't got to the point where I feel like, man, I, I know why I went through that. I haven't yeah. got there. You know, I haven't got there yet, but I think it's on the way, you know, and, and that's what keeps me hopeful. And in the process, you are sharing your story. Yeah, like you said, absolutely. Your story right. isn't just solely for you. It's not for you anymore. It's you not. It's, it's not. not for you. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's not at all. Okay, well, Alicia, I want to tell you that I'm super excited that you chose to come. Um, like I said, our relationship, you know, we've been knowing each other for quite some time now. And just for me, you know, college and things happen, so it's not like we talk within that process, but I did see it on social media. And I do think that you are very strong just for letting people in, you know, because sometimes people go through different hardships and they don't want everybody to know. And I know probably during that process, it may have been difficult with you to even let friends or family in, especially with you not knowing, you know, but being strong enough to, you know, write, you did a blog Mm -hmm. on what you went through and just highlight it and, you know, get, I guess raise awareness to other women. Yeah. You know, that's glory within itself. That's triumph within itself because I know that there's black women and of course there's other races that are going through these different issues, maybe married, maybe unmarried, but as a child, you know, every little girl wants to get married and have children. Yes. So I know that was difficulty with you like just wrapping your whole mind around that, but mm. Throughout that, you rose above that. And I think that's what's so powerful about you. And I think, you know, because you are involved in so many different things and you have a book and, you know, you're basically built to reach the masses. Mm -hmm. So with that being said, thank you. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you for the opportunity. I I appreciate it. Anytime I have opportunities, just talk about it. I'll try Mm -hmm. to take it. Right. Just because I know that there's people out there that... Need to hear it. Need to hear it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. So in closing, ladies and guys, too, if you are tuning in, always remember that your story is not solely for you. It's meant to be shared with other women, with other individuals, and provide hope to those facing similar battles. We don't have to be ashamed, and we definitely don't have to be afraid to share. Always keep this mindset that you are a victor, you are a winner, and you will not be defeated. 
You declare growth and prosperity over your life. And troubles do not last always. You are her. Heroic, empowering, resilient. Thank you all for listening and I'll catch you all next week.